gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 115, the review segment for Friday, April 22nd, 2016. Happy Earth Day and happy Passover. Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth yeah, Day. Yeah. My calendar says Earth Day. Oh, but the Earth is covered in ice. Mmm. Uh, we're joined this week. We have a special guest for a review for the first time in a long time. Uh, Joe Reed. Thank hey you guys. for joining us. You're of Decider.com. I am of Decider.com. And you have True. at least one podcast, Extra Hot Great. Is there another podcast I should be plugging for you? Uh, not at the moment, although if you talk to me in a few weeks, I might say something differently. Ooh. But stay tuned for that. Surprise, surprise. You, wait, so you, you've been on this show before, Joe, haven't just you? Just the once, just once. When? Wow. You remember it vividly? Several years. I feel like I was talking about Mad Men. I feel like I, I remember getting getting hollered at by David about Mad Men. <laughs> that sounds about, about right. Brother. So, yeah. yeah, this show's been on for too long. <laughs> um, well, Joe, we uh, we basically had you on because we all rode the subway home together from seeing Huntsman Winter's War. We said, let's just have this conversation on a podcast because uh, David missed the screening because his sister had a baby, which is an excellent reason. And uh, topical to Huntsman Winter's War. Since <laughs> because there are sister, babies involved. There is a sister who has a baby. And, and the babies are on fire. Doesn't uh, end well. Um, doesn't. So this. Uh, so what's interesting about this movie, and maybe we need a spoiler segment because all of the trailers what? have taken about five minutes worth of the movie. Like the trailers. And it's tell five you, minutes from the end of the movie. Yeah. I just saw an ad, like a TV ad between getting home and recording this podcast, <laughs> and I was like, "Is it exactly as like misleading as I thought it was?" And it's totally like. Well, that's everything because you're seeing in the trailers is from the last twenty minutes, and the last twenty minutes of the movie are the most exciting. So, well, that's, that's why. Yeah. So it like basically tells you about like these two sisters, Emily Blunt and Charlize Theron, and this baby that was born, and then you know she turns into the Ice Queen, and then Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain are trained as huntsmen, and that's <laughs> that's like the first twenty minutes in the movie. Right. And then it's it's a it's very strangely set up. So maybe if we if we feel like we're getting into spoilers. I feel like you're blowing past all these amazing. Oh, well, okay. I'm just really you're important not gonna details. A, a love story about four dwarfs. <laughs> oh, everyone is in love in this movie actually. Yeah. It's yeah, amazing. Love, love, love I think someone literally says love conquers all in this movie. It was originally true. titled The Huntsman Love Guru, but they realized that <laughs> might remind people of The Love Guru. Uh, so yeah, this movie is a uh, twist, both a prequel and a sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> which is something I did not know coming in, and I don't think most people will. Why know. do you? Yeah, I guess. I really mean, it makes strange. sense that it's a prequel and a sequel because you want it to be a prequel so you can introduce new characters because it absolutely makes no sense to go beyond the scope of Snow White and the Huntsman when we last right. saw Kristen Stewart taking the throne after defeating Charlize Theron, the well, queen. Well, especially because Kristen Stewart is not in this movie. Right, and you there's literally nowhere to go without Kristen Stewart. So you have a prequel. Aha, but maybe, maybe those characters don't die and they just jump ahead seven years and the action of the other <laughs> movie happened, I don't know, at a boring part in this movie. Downtime, everyone takes a nap, but then they come back to life. Can yeah. we all agree that like and be brave enough to say that Kristen Stewart would probably make a pretty crappy queen? Like, oh yeah, I feel like it's all in the chase with her, and then she'd get there and she'd be like bored <laughs> with this. She'd have to go to France and uh, right. find some other auteur to make a movie with. Yeah, I mean, she's not doing a great job from what we see in this movie. But hang on, we are again getting ahead of ourselves. Patches, yeah. what is it that captivated you so much in the first twenty minutes of this movie? Um, well, the first twenty of the minutes of this movie take place over one breath, exhausted during the move of, in a chess <laughs> game because 
Charlize Theron lets every word slip out <laughs> at that 20-minute rate. I, it's astonishing how slowly and how grueling this movie is, especially in the beginning. Um, Charlize Theron is playing chess against, I don't know, a king? She's ta- she, I think it's the guy she's married to. Okay, well, she takes over and kind of owns the kingdom at that point, and her sister is just kind of floating on her... Uh, under under her wing, and she's going to live, played by Emily Blunt, Freya. Uh, she's going to have a great life, because she is uh, in love with a man. Now, this man is betrothed to another lady. They're engaged, but uh, Emily Blunt... We learn all of this in very aggressive voiceover and uh, conversation. Yeah, this is about also, three hours into the movie, and this movie is 18 years long, so... The royal <laughs> dynastic politics make no sense right off the bat, by the way, where, no. like, she's she's the the evil queen's sister and she can't and get a she's guy gotta like elbow out some like other chick for <laughs> right. this guy that she wants yeah like, it's true she she needs first she gets first dibs like that's how it works in <laughs> a system like that yeah like, and your and your sister's the evil woman. queen she could like point her finger at this woman yeah. and blow her off the what face of the, the planet um, right off the bat i was I well was finding there is law. an issue we eventually learned but we will not spoil it because it's so important but anyway emily blunt's gonna have a baby um and that doesn't work out for her because her husband, who says she's going to, like, whisk her away, ends up lighting the baby on fire. Now, this is not a spoiler because I declare it not a spoiler, well, and it's okay. funny. So there's more, in- <laughs> there's more information to this that is actually revealed in the trailers, but not until the last 15 minutes of the movie. Can we talk about that? Um, Probably... I don't know. Joe, what do you think? I think I think we just say everything is on the table for this very, very stupid, plot-heavy, detail-heavy movie because it's between, so funny. Yeah. Between the fact that it's a pretty dumb movie and the fact that the trailers are just so willy-nilly in giving away <laughs> the farm that, like, I feel like secrets are not going to be yeah. what you're going to go for. So yeah. it is strongly implied in the trailers and also based on what we saw in the previous movie that Charlize Theron willingly killed her sister's daughter. Yeah, the trailers say betrayed by her sister. Yeah, and then they reveal that in the very end of the movie. Yes, they make you wait so long for it, even though everybody knows. Even if yeah. you had seen, even if you had not seen one preview, you, yeah. you've seen the movie before, yeah. you know exactly what happened. Yep. So, yeah, that happens. Yeah, so Charlize Theron lights Emily Blunt's baby on fire. Now, we don't get to see it because this movie's not that fun. So, but Emily Blunt <laughs> is very upset and turns into Elsa from <laughs> Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> Down to the dress and the hair. It yep. is Frozen-inspired, no doubt. Um, and runs to the other side of the kingdom and sets up Frozen Shop there. Um, and these one two... thing that's not quite... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No. Oh, no, one no. Thing... It's not quite Frozen inspired, but seemed to me like Masters of the Universe inspired was her little viewfinder mask where she yeah. could spy on people from her like icy from her icy bubbo from Clash of the Titans. Actually. Yes, basically, exactly. Her little robot owl made of ice. Was there a robot spy- owl in the first one or am I just thinking of Bubbo from Clash of the Titans? I think you're thinking of Bubbo. I think there were okay. evil spy ravens in the first one. Very yeah, muddled. yeah, that sounds about right. There was something in either He-Man and the Masters of the Universe or perhaps like She-Ra from like the cartoons mm-hmm. where like somebody put on a mask <laughs> and could see through well, like somebody else's eyes. I feel like that's a thing. Joe, you're honing in on something about this movie that I wish this movie had just gone for and the first one i guess in retrospect kind of does but i think i'm i'm admiring it in in the wake of just this awful glob of a movie which is these 80s fantasy movies i'm thinking like willow i'm thinking never-ending story masters of the universe even i mean absurd crazy stuff it's based on a cartoon but but like not a good movie 
like flair to it. Has true fantasy. Like. Has like whimsy or craziness. Uh, like just Rats, oozing yeah. with weird designs. This movie has none of that, except it also ha- it has the plot of one of those movies where you're just like going from place to place to see what our band of heroes who we haven't even gotten to yet because they're so inconsequential and lacking in chemistry that they. And and this movie takes so long to get going that we can't even mention Crips Hemsworth as the Huntsman or Jessica Chastain as Sarah, his romantic interest, who are both children kidnapped by Emily Blunt after she becomes a freeze queen and <laughs> she she's very angry. Elba's character in Beast of No Nation. <laughs> as, as narrator, as narrator Liam Neeson told us. Oh my God, he he pipes in every two seconds. Oh God, that was Liam Neeson. It had to have been right. I was like, I'm not off. Oh, no, it, it definitely is. It definitely How is. How much do you think they paid him to do that? More than it was worth. Um, wow. As he said, my fav- one of my favorite lines of cheesy uh, voiceover was, uh, if she could not raise a child, she would raise an army. <laughs> That's Happily ever after. Uh, yeah, can we talk about how the, uh, the evil queens are named Freya and Ravenna and these kind of, you know, like over the top of good fantasy names and then Jessica Chastain and Chris Hemsworth are Eric and Sarah. Like, can't yes. we do better than that? It's Kyle. It's Brian. <laughs> Christine and Chet. <laughs> they made up for their rather plain names with their ridiculous Highland accents. Oh, my God. Why did they have every line reading a challenge? They are. So after the movie, someone was arguing that Chris Harmsworth was not Scottish in the first movie. I don't remember if I it was remember, or not. I don't remember. I don't think I... Kate Urbland and I were talking about that. I don't... We didn't think he was in the first one, yet... It's been a bit since I saw that movie, so I wouldn't like swear to it on a stack of Bibles. But I don't remember him being Scottish. Well, maybe that during both of them doing it too. It, that really, and also Charlize Theron's like thick British accent that makes no sense. But she's like calling like yes. the like the wall the wool. <laughs> <laughs> And she did that in the first one, too, to be fair. But when she's, like, with Emily Blunt, who's a real British person, it seems all the more insane. Well, maybe during the seven-year stretch where the first movie takes place. And it is seven years because there's a title card that pops up during the movie that says seven years later. um, And you feel like someone's laughing at you in the booth uh, when that pops up. Just like, yep, it's this much time. And (laughs) it's it's actually happened outside. When you go outside, seven years will have passed. But maybe during that time, he took a vow of accent silence. And then, so you get to seven years later, and you're like, oh, so wait, what's been happening in the meantime? And then Sam Claflin shows up, and you're like, oh, so the whole first movie is over now. Yeah, you were right. confused. I had to I lean over to you and confused. say, it's a it's a prequel and a sequel. It took <laughs> me a second. It did take me a second to, to get there, because I had forgotten that Sam Claflin was in the first one. As, as, which is fair. I'm going to admit, I slept through a good portion of that first movie, so... <laughs> I mean, Sam Claflin, I, honestly, I don't hate Sam Claflin, but he's not that no, I don't either. first movie. Um, but I was saying on the way out that I do feel bad for him, that he signed on to the first movie being like, I'll be the prince in this new Snow White franchise. And <laughs> yeah. then in the second movie, no he will, no one will tell, they won't tell anyone he's even in it. It'll you're, show up for one scene. Yeah, you're the prince who falls in love with Snow White. Oh, bad news. Snow White is not in the second Snow White movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm so but sorry, Sam. Whole middle the section just sort of yawns on and on. I, I'm glad you brought it up, Patches, in that the fact that Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain, two actors who I like quite a bit and who you would think would have really good chemistry together, don't yep. so much. Nope. Well, like it's, it's just not happening. It's like they're not it's not like they're not trying, but it's just like there's just not a well, actually there's, there's a lot of them kissing and not a lot of them like <laughs> interacting. Lot, there's so much kissing in this movie. Yeah. It's very I mean it's really funny and kind of cute because at the end 
they finally get a big kiss that they really mean it. And I think they are, do have chemistry that is somehow suffocated by the rest of this movie because they're like laughing and just kissing each other. And I was really happy, but maybe because I was going home after they were done kissing. <laughs> but I still feel like we haven't gotten through the setup to this movie, <laughs> which is amazing. But like describing Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain on this journey together. So Emily. They're raised as child soldiers. Yeah, they're child soldiers right. and they and secretly fall in love. Yeah, because yes. Emily Blunt is against love. She does she not has, believe in she love. She has made love illegal in her in her ice. It's kind of like the lobster, which you'll soon all see, except nothing <laughs> right. like the lobster. The lobster is great. Um, right. But yeah, so she does. She takes offense to Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain kind of getting hot together, and they're going to run away. But she creates an ice wall that forces them to see different things that's a power too (laughs) everything's possible in this fantasy land another one where everybody knows what's happened right away and yet it takes 45 minutes for the story to catch up to what everybody knows i don't know that i don't know exactly how jessica chastain's gonna come back to life but of course she's gonna come back to life yeah obviously but but i kind of assumed she was gonna come back to life more toward the end so i was a little bit surprised by how quickly she came back but otherwise yeah but I mostly mean about how, like, it looks to Chris Hemsworth like, she, you know, something happens to her, and it looks to her like something happens to him. And what the truth is, is that, like, Emily Blunt is using her, like, queenly witchy powers. And it's like that, <laughs> waiting for everybody to get on the same page about that. Yeah. It's so mostly Jessica Chastain, like, not, not buying it. Right. Yeah so-, it, yeah, so she comes back seven years later to rest well she comes back and she rescues him in a fight but that's not why she comes back no she comes back because well she comes back because chris hemsworth is hunting for the mirror which has been stolen by mirror i don't remember the mirror is important so they kill they kill charlie's theron from the first movie by this point but the mirror right charlie's theron has died off screen in the in the past movie that you need to remember but the mirror still has power somehow. Yes, and the mirror is somehow crippling Kristen Stewart, who we only see from behind because she was not, not contractually not obligated Kristen to come Stewart, back. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a Snow nice White. brunette who you could definitely misidentify yeah. as Kristen Stewart. Yeah, Queen Snow White has tossed out the – maybe she had a, as hard of a time trying to get rid of the mirror as I tried had – trying to get rid of my roommate's mattress after he moved out. And it's just like, I keep leaving it on the curb and the garbage yes. people don't take it. I don't know why. She, she like, actually, there was a Craigslist listing for it. Someone was yeah. going to come pick it up. They it's didn't like, come. It's your best offer. It's a mirror. It's made of gold. And it, yeah, like, it really feels like, you know, like everyone knows that's like where the queen got her power. It seems like something they would have thought to get rid of quickly, but no one thought about it. So the, the villain in this movie is a mirror. Yes. Kind of, yes. I mean, they're definitely, it's both the villain and the MacGuffin, because Chris Hemsworth Hemsworth is going to go uh, break it, or steal it, or bring it back. Take it, yeah. It's pretty unclear what he's going to do when he gets it. Blunt doesn't get it. But the point is, Jessica Chastain comes back as a ninja, and saves (laughs) his life, and by this point, Nick Frost and new cast addition, Rob Brydon, are uh, the dwarves that he's on an adventure with. It becomes very like Lord of the Rings ish without any scope or any momentum or any idea it's kind of, of what like the a plot is. Movie for a minute there, where they're like, you know, going to the pub to be like, "What do you know? I'll tell, I'll, you know, help me out." And then I don't remember. Then Jessica Chastain shows up and it gets as a ninja. Movie. Yeah, and then she, there, there's like a whole. There's just so many conversations about love or like 
about the nothingness of of life of the oh it's, you know, it's plodding it like- through these conversations they're so long and so boring and then even when the action beats come and break them up the the camera work is so fucking shoddy and you can't tell like a good fist fight chris hemsworth you can wield a fake uh axe and punch a guy in the face and i'll probably be entertained but this movie has no control over what we're seeing at any point in these choreographed scenes they're not exciting and this guy cedric nicholas troyan who directed the movie was the visual effects guy on snow white and the huntsman um and has no business kind of directing action it's pretty upsetting uh i just looked it up just to confirm uh rob bryden who is the second dwarf in this movie was not a dwarf in the first movie no Uh, he's he's quickly introduced as the brother of oh is he so yes. it's just Nick Frost they managed to get to return. Yeah. Why? Uh, it just makes no... Okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> it's This movie's so confounding, because, like, I, I thought at the end, I mean, again, not to, like, fast forward to the good part, but, like, if we could fast forward to the good part for, like, yeah. a second. Once, like, Charlize Theron re-enters the story, which you all know she is because... She's been in all the She is first billed in all of the, like, promotional materials. So she comes back, and she, a lot sort of like it was in the first movie, as I recall, through naps, uh, (laughs) she's sort of having as much kind of campy, delicious fun with this role where she whispers and she draws everything out, and she, like, will slink behind Emily Blunt and, like, speak lines of dialogue into the side of her face. Mm -hmm. And, like, you can see the sort of fun, campy, delicious, like drag queeny movie that could have been yep and yet it never really breaks out well she never has a joan crawford moment she never has a moment where she can be like ah well and they don't let gets there a little bit toward the end and they keep emily blunt so sort of stilted in the same two to three beats that she keeps repeating all or other poor emily blunt poor emily blunt it's like she gets she gets a lot of material but like no actual you know, character development at all. It's all just like love and love is outlawed. And like, I mean, not to steal a bit from, you know, David Ehrlich while he's not here, but like the true, the true winter's war really was love in this movie. Like, <laughs> let's be serious. Yeah, no, she, yeah. The, and the character is kind of like set up in this way, basically to kind of mark time until Charlize Theron comes back so that she can be dominated by her. And she can't ever like emerge as her own proper queen. I mean, I, I like the moments where she's kind of like skulking around and like, you know, someone tells her, like, you've conquered all the worlds. You said, have I? And, like, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I mean, Emily Blunt's having John Krasinski's baby. She's doing fine. I'm not yeah. worried about her. Um, like check, lady. Um, but, yeah, it is a shame that, because, like, Charlize Theron in Huntsman, like, I feel like that's the movie, that's the reason this movie got a sequel is because sure. Charlize Theron was so fun to watch. And she, and she looks incredible again. But if she's the reason it got a sequel, why not make her, like, a hero who turned bad and make her. Yeah, she, a, she, she was like, "I'm not. I got other things to do. You're going to pay me a lot of money to be in barely any of this movie." I just, I guess, I envision a version of this movie. Chris Hemsworth has charisma, right? Like we like yeah. Chris Hemsworth and we love Jessica Chastain. These are. I, think uh, I love all four of these leads. Right and after I, after this movie, I told you that it felt like me watching my best friends in a high school play that just was a total <laughs> disaster. Like you <laughs> want them to be so good, and yep. it's just a fucking waste of so much talent. And it this movie almost redeemed itself for me. Almost went there. If it was rated R, 
And there's this sex scene in the middle of it where uh, Hemsworth and Chastain finally like love each other again after this will they, won't they. And Chastain's really angry because he walked away from her. So much lovey-dovey talk. But then they finally like get it on and it's kind of hot. And like they kind of get almost naked. And I felt yeah. bad because there were like a crew of young, like, 12-year-old girls sitting in front of us. Who were really oh, into yeah. it. They were into it, but I, like, Hemsworth and Chastain's are going at it. I'm like, oh my god, yeah! Ooh. And then I started booing, yeah, because they, <laughs> it did not go there, but I could just imagine, like, a really raunchy, like, just six-minute sex scene between them. That would have been awesome. I mean, there are moments, like, you know, they're, like, <laughs> in a rowboat and, like, you know, he's like, I'm gonna, you know, rescue you and prove that I love you or whatever. Oh, and my God, like, they take a rowboat. And, like, movie. he makes her laugh and, like, you know, you see it, but it's, like, all it's in the middle of a plot that doesn't make any sense. Like, none of it is, like, organically part of the story, so you get impatient when you're watching them go through their stuff because you're like, what the fuck is this? Why is this movie still going? Uh, like I don't think they don't... Of- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I don't think they lack chemistry. It's just that there's not a structure that makes you want to watch them together. I think that's fair. I think 90% of this movie is waiting for the other 10% of the movie to kick in because you know it's going to. Yeah. So it's just like it's just a lot of waiting. Well, especially in the beginning when, like, it goes through and you, like, you know, you get to, like, where it looks like Jessica Chastain has died and you're like, what the fuck is this movie going to be about? Right. That's exactly what I turned it's to you and really say. It's really like, crazy how long the prologue goes. But even when they're get they're chasing the mirror... I don't know what it's about or when they're bringing the mirror to I don't know where and then right. Emily Blunt shows up and takes the mirror. I don't know what she's going to use it Riding for. Riding on her scary polar bear. Oh, yeah. That's the best part of the movie. Like the she has a polar, polar bear. bear. Yeah. Polar bear dog like, kind of thing. More movies should should use that visual. You know, so somebody coming in riding on a polar bear. Like, yeah. I'll pay attention at least. And then there's all the stuff at the end about, like, there's this big sort of emotional moment or should be emotional moment where, like, the other child soldiers, like, oh, yeah, make, make their decision to, like, side with Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain. But, like, we don't know these people. They've barely spoken, like, six words of dialogue in the whole movie. It, there, yeah. it just has no impact. It really, it, I mean, it, it feels so underwritten, which is a weird thing to say about a movie in which, like, so much random crap happens. But I know. Yeah, they just, like, didn't bother to come up with a story that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, there's this guy in the movie, the actor's name is Sope Dirisu, I believe. Who he's, I thought was quite good, actually. Yeah. Well, so, I was convinced I recognized him from something, but Me I, too. he's an I English don't. actor who's been in, like, the casual vacancy and stuff. I and apparently the, the trip? Oh, wait, different trip. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> Like, oh, you're wait, absolutely right. Because he was in Humans. I watched He was him. in Humans, yeah. Oh. That's what I But you're absolutely right, Joe. Like, I like him for some reason. I guess just his presence and his, the well, contemplation like the on his face. he's the one person left in the army who you, like, can identify that but, crowd. Right. <laughs> yeah, because right. he's black and everyone else in the movie is white. Let's be well, quite honest. He's I mean, the only one who gets a story beat. In, yeah, exactly. In- but that's, I'm waiting for this movie to anyway. give him the moment, right? Like... Make yeah, him yeah. more than the guy who stands out because he's black and everything else, and including the set dressing, is white. Like, don't <laughs> just white. play that up. Give Make him a character. Give him something to do because it's on the cusp of that. Um, yeah. In the beginning, in this, like, training montage where Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain are becoming the future heroes that they will be, um, young Tull, that's the name of this guy, character – he is also kind of spotlight for, by, uh, in this montage because Emily Blunt grabs his face and like freezes her handprints onto him. Not important. Not does not come back. That's the only reason. No, he, it's like, just so you can identify him. When it's it's the analog to the Force Awakens thing where uh, 
where he gets the bloody handprint on his helmet. Yes! So like, why, how you know during that battle, it's just like, oh, that's the good one. He's got the bloody handprint on his helmet. That, that's precisely. Yeah. What you wonder. You wonder but if there's stuff on the cutting being, room floor. He's a human being, not a stormtrooper right. costume. I, 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 I wonder. <laughs> I, I do wonder if there's something like on the cutting room floor, more material between him and Emily Blunt. I just wanted more of him, more of something, I guess. Real character. I, I think what I said to real Joe stakes. was that like I wanted it to just be like palace intrigue about Emily Blunt and Charlie Theron. Like bring back Charlie Theron halfway through the movie, have her like yeah. her and Emily Blunt just like being catty to each other and like have it all be about you know, palace politics. That'd right. be amazing. Or or make it extravagant and, and like maleficent or something. Like go there was over so the much top time spent like farting around with like dwarves and and woodland sprites and like <laughs> and that was like I guess levity but it's like that time could have been spent establishing and building up the characters who end up making a difference in the crucial stages of the movie like the dwarves <laughs> end up dwarves. doing nothing in the last 20 minutes in the no. actual like they get frozen know, Two, two of them get frozen. frozen. Two of them, like, who knows what's going on with those two while the battle is actually happening. <laughs> I, I have two points on this. One, uh, in the middle of the movie, they're all just, they literally just sit around. As if this movie is yes. not going slowly enough, they all sit in a meadow and talk for a second. Good. Yes. I really needed a down moment. Woof. Mm-hmm. I got, I'm out of breath from paddling for 10 minutes. But then <laughs> Nick Frost. Like goblin gorillas. That's true. Goblin gorillas. Oh, Jesus. Um, Nick Frost <laughs> sits down. They cut to him with this lady dwarf. And he's romancing her. And I just wanted to scream, like, what the fuck? Like, get on with it. Jesus. It felt very Hobbit. Who long, cares? Uh, lo- whatever. Uh, unexpected like, journey kind of thing. They're just, just identifying like, types of flowers. What's wrong with that? Totally uh, essential to the narrative. Yeah. And maybe, re- yeah. One part I really liked was after the two dwarves got frozen and Emily Blunt's making her way back to the palace, that they take the time to, like, grab the two ice dwarves and put them on this little, like, <laughs> police or whatever, like, canopy that they're going to drag behind them. It's like, that's very important. I'm glad we've made... <laughs> Don't break yeah. them. To, Don't like, break them. They'll look good. Yeah, making ice sculptures of your enemies is, like, definitely not going to come back at you when you die. You know? They look uh, like they were covered in meringue. That's what I... They looked tasty. I have to the say. The ice sculptures? Yeah. They look like meringues. Kind they of looked swirling. like rock candy, I thought, a little yeah, bit. Was, yeah. yeah, meringues sort of, too. I can see that. I mean, this movie just fails completely because the parts that are supposed to excuse the horrible drama and the like thin script are also bad. The special effects are not good. There's no interesting. No. At least Snow White and the Huntsman had crazy Miyazaki riffs and yeah. you know kind of an extravagance. It was kind of grim, dark version of Snow White. It was ugly and disgusting with crows and mud and shit. But even the moment where like the mirror bleeds out into goop. And does its thing. That's not interesting. The the frozen Emily Blunt, you know, bla- frozen blast. That's not cool. And then the action stuff. I really can't get over it. There's a scene towards the end when Chris Hemsworth is going to infiltrate the big ice castle. And what is his plan? Like he climbs he a cliff. He flings himself off of a cliff. He climbs <laughs> like to the top. Yeah, he climbs he to the top of a cliff. Loud, this is the worst plan ever. I mean, he's no, aware. He's yes, yeah. and he's very. And I turned to Katie. I'm like, did he ad lib that line? Because this is a horrible. <laughs> who thought this was a good idea? He jumps off the top of the cliff and then slides all the way back down. Horrible. What? I don't understand. I still haven't been able to figure out whether I loved or hated. Charlize Theron's gold leaf eyeshadow. Katie, help me out here. I liked it's, it. it's, it's very so literal. Totally t- it's very literal. That's what I was saying. I was like, Nina Garcia would totally clock that for being too literal. And yet, like, it's 
it's something it's there and it's so perfectly placed and i have to you know and it's supposed to just be like oh this was what was left after i like shed off the gold of my transformation or whatever and it's like oh this perfectly placed eyeshadow in gold leaf okay no, it's no thing yeah <laughs> i woke up like this charlie's there in his queen ravenna so so what was the one good thing about the huntsman winter's war before we wrap up here um i liked the goblin gorillas honestly like you did. I, I don't think the action scene was good, but I thought it was an interesting way to design a goblin. They have giant horns, and yeah, they're like gorillas, and they stole something. I just like that they were kind of like based on something organic and not just like another like, ooh, crazy spooky thing. I don't know. Too many like monkeys and gorillas in movies today. Maybe it was Jungle, Jungle Book, Book. But yeah, but also the Rise of the Apes movies. And I don't know. It seems easy at this point. Show me something crazy. What was Show the one? What was the one thing you liked? Um, I guess maybe Hemsworth because he kept laughing as yeah, if the movie a was a big joke. He does. <laughs> the accent well, and, like, and, like, couldn't the understand scene it all. Where like he's being threatened by the other huntsmen in the tavern, and the dwarves are kind of like sticking up for him, and he's like, "Yep, I'm the huntsman." Like there was kind of like a nice like roadhouse swagger to that. Yeah, he's dashing. He's a rogue. Uh, he's he's a funny guy when a when a movie like this is not serving him actual comedy at all yeah. I, I'm so depressed over Jessica Chastain uh, this I told you guys this is like watching Pixar hit cars or something oh. this is the end of the streak for Jessica Chastain I'm trying to think of what's her worst movie prior to this nothing bad but this is awful and she is I don't know Did if she's miscast she but she shouldn't Sorry. have been a Scottish the Scottish accent is miserable and I don't know. She just can't strike up the heat, except for that one scene that I'll obsess over heat. for the end of time. She has had a pretty solid run. You're right. Up to this it's point. a real solid run. I yeah. mean, I didn't see the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, but, you know, it was respected. I did. She was good in that. I see? didn't love the movie, but I thought she was good in it. She I never wouldn't... saw the movie where she plays the Mossad agent, so I can't speak oh, to that. Oh, that's a good oh, movie. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is that movie? The Debt. Yeah. The Debt. Yes. Jessica Chastain wouldn't even be in fucking Iron Man 3. She was like, no, Marvel, I'm above this. And now she's in this movie. What happened? Who has material on her? Where are the tapes? I Show us the tapes that you like, have on oh, Jessica Charlize Chastain. Charlize and Emily Blunt are going to be in this big crazy thing and I get to do it? I don't know. Or yeah. maybe she wanted to buy a house. That's yeah. a really good point. That's a really good <laughs> point. Got to do your one for them at some point. I totally... It's all the back. nice thing about this is like none of this is her fault and she will walk away perfectly. Fine. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to actually come down on any of them. Right? No, I don't either. Like, I don't think you walk out of this movie with ill will towards any of the four principles. I mean, like, Emily you Blunt's... feel bad for them a little. No, you Emily feel bad Blunt for the industry. Has, she still has the problem of like not having had like a yeah. particularly good movie. Like, well, Emily you Blunt's made it for... Sicario, though. I like Sicario. That's true. Yeah, Same. Sicario was very recent. Like, no, and that was a good move for her. And, and she was fantastic in Into the Woods. She was fantastic. In Into the Woods. I thought so too. I mean, and I guess she's playing Mary Poppins, so there's, you know, she and she's got the girl on the train coming, so she's doing all right. Yeah. But she, I mean, she definitely like she had that run for a while, of, like Adjustment Bureau, Salmon Fishing in Yemen, oh, Edge of Travel, Tomorrow. The Wolfman, yeah, where yeah. it's like it got really weird for a while. She took she took probably twice as many roles as she should have. Yeah, that, you know what I mean, like. You can't blame anybody for working, especially, you know, a woman in Hollywood. But, but she's coming off uh, Looper, Edge of Tomorrow, Into the Woods, Sicario. So, yeah, she's uh, she's done all right for herself. She's yeah. due for a, a complete mess. And here it is. <laughs> uh, so, wait, Joe, we'll ramp up with you. What was your what was the one 
good thing. My redeeming aspect about I, this. Charlize Theron's whisper acting. I think that was that was there was a movie I wanted to see contained within all those history. Contained within a whisper. Yes, exactly. I That's do the want the Cirque version of the movie you wanted to see. That is awesome. With the whispers of winter. With Charlize <laughs> Theron. Uh, exactly. This movie does end with like a gold bust of Charlize Theron's screaming face, and I it's want that true. on my mantle. I know there. Yeah. I really there are it in the town square, just so yeah. everybody can. There's a way to describe this movie in a way that will make someone want to see it when you include details like that. But uh, no, don't see this movie. It's yeah. such a mess. It's really frustrating. Emily Blunt. Oh my God, you're so beautiful. Yes, you are. Emily Blunt. You're a very talented movie star. Oh, yes, you are. I want to hang out with you. I want to be your personal assistant. I want to make sure that everything works out well for you. And Emily Blunt. I want one day for you to realize that I'm not just a great personal assistant. I'm also a wonderful man. And I could love you the best that I can And that would be pretty darn good Yes it would, yes it would, yes it would Oh Emily Blunt Let me be upfront about this You're such a beautiful actress I want to marry you So won't you hire me to be your personal assistant here is my phone number, 603-644-0048. I've been waiting for your call. I have a resume prepared. I can fax it to your office. And we can begin falling in love. Before we wrap up, uh, Joe, there's another movie coming out this week with a bunch of women in it that apparently is good. Yes. Uh, Great. The, med- the Meddler. Uh, I saw The Meddler at Toronto uh, back in September. Susan Sarandon plays the title role as a meddling mother of Rose Byrne. She has, speaking of accents, we were talking about accents with Huntsman. Uh, she has this kind of New Yorky, like, doesn't seem quite like a fit like a glove on Susan Sarandon at first blush, but she pulls it off really well. It's one of those, it reminded me a little bit of uh, like Blythe Danner in um, what was that movie last year that I really I'll see loved? You in my dreams. I'll see you in my dreams. Or there's just like, there seems to be a lot of uh, Sally Field and hello. My name is Doris this year. A lot of movies coming around where actresses of a certain age uh, get, the opportunity to play these roles that feel very sort of cared for and, and well-shaped and sort of, you know, they get a good little showcase for them. My and personal I think, favorite from last year was grandma. Yes, exactly. See, it's basically like, it's the Sam Elliott boyfriend genre. Oh Wait, is Sam Elliott the meddler? 
No, but okay. J.K. Simmons oh, yeah, is K. basically Simmons playing is Sam, Sam Elliott in this <laughs> yeah. movie. It's really funny how um, sort of one-to-one that is. And there's a bunch of like really good actresses playing small roles in this one. Cecily Strong is in it for a bit, and Lucy Punch, and Sarah Baker, and uh, Amy Landecker's in it. It's it's one of those sort of like semi-slight festival comedies that you figure are not going to make a huge kind of dent at the box office or anything like that, but are worth checking out for like, these are the movies that are giving actresses that you love good parts now. And it's worth it for, for Sarandon particularly. And good directors. I'm glad. Yeah. That, uh, How do we pronounce her name? Lorraine Scafaria. I'll take that. Oh uh, yeah. That's awesome. Director of uh, uh, seeking a friend of the end of, uh, for the end of the world. A movie. Which I thought was, oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, it was exactly. Good. It's it's not a great movie, but I think it's a really good idea, and the script is interesting, and it's very yeah. well directed, and it just did not congeal. And I was very excited to see your next movie. So the Meddler is something I'm looking forward to. Oh, and Gerard Carmichael's in this movie of uh, the Carmichael Show on NBC, and he and Sarandon have a couple really good scenes together. So recommended for that. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, now that we have talked about the movie this week, you actually should see Patches. What was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of another movie that's coming to theaters, though if you listen to our uh, our regular episode this week, David recommend maybe just waiting for Amazon for this one. But in honor of Elvis and Nixon, Dawn of Justice, what was the weirdest historical figure casting choice? Uh, Joe, since you weren't on the main episode, what's your personal choice? I mean, the Oliver Stone's Nixon sort of offers a grab bag of this kind of thing. Nixon but really? Who's played Nixon well? He comes up so much in this question. He does. Well, it's funny because he's been nominated, like, at least two actors have been nominated for playing him, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Frank Langella both. But in Nixon, I, I saw Nixon when I was an impressionable teenager, and the nightmare vision of Bob Hoskins as J. Edgar Hoover has stuck with me <laughs> for a long time. So I Even feel like more that- than Leonardo DiCaprio as J. Edgar? <laughs> oh god well at least i was by then i was an adult who had like built up like self-defense mechanisms <laughs> for when i went and saw movies where now i know better and i can sort of i know how to protect myself i did not then so. and we all know that arby hammer was really the true horrifying sight in that uh old age makeup they put him in. it was it was a, of a piece with uh oliver stone who i i love jfk but like the things he did depicting gay people in jfk is honestly horrendous and he made them look so nightmarish and awful and that's sort of what Bob Hoskins was. He's sort of this like awful, like predatory presence by like a pool and like a terry cloth robe, and he's just like eyeing up cabana boys, and it's just all so <laughs> predatory and gross. I mean, another person who made gay people look terrible was J. Edgar for Hoover. So. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't put that all on Oliver for that movie. Like, so. yeah. Um, okay, looking at our uh Twitter answers, uh Andrew Rostan said uh Omar Sharif and Jack Palance as Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. <laughs> This is in a 1969 movie called Che! Exclamation mark. I had never heard of this before. I am blown away by its existence. And now I want to see if it's on YouTube because I'm very curious. YouTube? I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, I, I want to see a clip of it. I'm not sure if it's a good enough movie to, like, want to see the whole thing. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's, it, if you've seen this movie, let me know. Yes, chime in. And I'm going to go with um, – a lot of people picked presidents for this. I thought that was interesting. There's a lot of historical figures in uh, cinema history, people. Come on. But I'm actually going to go with at Patrick underscore Wren, who said uh, the names were changed, and I'm not sure it's historical. I would say it is. Um, but Ryan Gosling playing Robert Durst. 
in uh, All Good yeah. Films. Uh, Which I've never seen. It's not it's a particularly good movie. Not a good movie. It's a kind of a strange casting choice. Maybe you go a little older, or maybe you don't do the makeup that they do. It's extremely weird on all accounts, and maybe that's appropriate because we now know Robert Durst is a fucking psychopath. Um, I mean, the pre- the premise of that movie is that Robert Durst is a fucking psychopath. That's true. That's true. And our friend, well, we all know him so much better now. Yes. And our don't friend, uh, our friend Mike Ryan also suggests me as Mikey Dolans from the Monkees. I don't know if I can really see that, nor have I st- starred as Mikey Dolans in a movie. So it's Mickey Dolans, but you're fine. What am I? Well, I'm sorry, Mickey Dolans. Mickey Dolans. Oh, monkey, monkey Dolans. Monkey Dolans. <laughs> Matt Patches as <laughs> Monkey Dolans. Well, that does it for this week's fighting in the war room. Uh, we'll be back next week. No, I still not talking about Captain America: Civil War, much to Dave's chagrin, but we'll get there. I promise. Uh, in the meantime, tell people who you are, starting with our guest, Joe Reed. Joe, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me, uh, as we said before, at Decider.com. You can also find me at uh, on Twitter, at Joe Reed, J-O-E-R-E-I-D. That's Great. all. Great. And uh, I'm Matt Patches, Senior Entertainment Editor at Thrillist.com. And I am on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And I'm Katie Rich. I'm on VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Bye.